Mike Rags and Todd Burlage with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Hello again, everybody. We are back with another Blue Gold Report. I am one of your hosts, Mike Rags, hanging out with you, talking Notre Dame sports. Uh, wherever you found us, make sure you rate and review us and share us with all your friends and you subscribe to the Blue Gold Podcast because that way, every time we do a new show, you get to listen. And if you're listening on ESPN Fort Wayne on the 1380 and 100.9 FM, well, good Saturday morning to you. Uh, let's bring in Todd Burlage. we got a lot to talk about. Todd, of course, one of the lead writers for Blue Gold Illustrated. We've got some uh, college hoops to get to. Nothing to be too proud of. Losing to Radford at home. Uh, We'll break that down as much as we possibly can. Uh, The women continue to win. And, of course, uh, it's all about the football. And we've got maybe the biggest game of the year coming up outside of Michigan. And that is Syracuse in New York City. It is uh, the Shamrock Series. Kind of a uh, prelude to the Pinstripe Bowl, I guess. They're playing at Yankee Stadium. And they've got new pinstripes on their pants. And their uniforms look sharp. Without the gold, no, but that's a different story. Uh, Anyway, uh, we are ready for that game, which has huge implications, and we'll break it all down for you. Coming off the Florida State drubbing, hit Springman right now. It is a Todd Burlage. Todd, how are you doing, my friend? Doing well, Rags. This has been the game, the Syracuse game, that you had circled on your calendar Mm. probably four, five, six weeks ago. Yes, and uh, Radford? Really? Radford? (laughs) What are we doing here? Uh, Anyway, that's Bradford without the B, I guess. I I don't know. Uh, We'll talk about that in a little bit yeah we talked about it way back when too when they switched the schedule around and they're traveling to new york city they lose a home game technically to do the shamrock series and all that traveling they're gonna have to do uh well it's here now and i don't know if either one of us thought they'd be undefeated at the time and uh now the big playoff implications with syracuse coming in as the number 12 ranked team in the country too uh this is a huge one todd and uh boy oh boy i, I am nervous i'm not gonna lie to you Oh, yeah, for sure. At least on paper and everything you've heard and read this week, Syracuse is the real deal. It's a good football team on both sides. Uh, and they're very yeah. well coached. Yeah, exactly. Very well coached. Yep. All right, let's uh, do Blue Gold Nuggets. Get that out of the way so we can get into this game here. Todd, what do you got for us? Yeah, we'll make it short and sweet this time. Let's start with a little hockey. Uh, Three-pack as usual, Rags. Let's start with a little hockey. Former Irish goaltender Cal Peterson. He played for Notre Dame from 2014 through 2017. He made his NHL debut this week. He's a goaltender. Um, he plays for the L.A. Kings. He stopped 15 of 16 shots. The one game, uh, the one goal came on a power play, so a good debut for him. Early signing day for the Hoops and the Notre Dame. The men didn't really have any room for anything, so they didn't sign anybody. But the the Lady Irish continued to hum along on the recruiting trail. They inked two players, uh, 6'2 forward Sam Brunel. Uh, she is out of Rutgersville, Virginia. And a point guard by the name of Anaya Peoples. Uh, Brunel, she's ranked as the number one forward in the country and the number four player overall. She's averaging or averaged at her junior year 30 points, 15.6 boards, three and a half assists. Peoples uh, from Danville, Illinois, she averaged 16.9 points, 6.7 boards, and 4.7 assists. She's ranked as the number four point guard and the number 21 player overall. So good get for the Irish as always. And, of course, Notre Dame football, they continue to recruit Hawaii, making the pronunciation of the names, for me, very difficult. But anyhow, for the class of 2019, they, they inked a linebacker this week by the name of Marist. That's the easy part. Liu Fau. Let's try that. 
He's from uh, <laughs> Punahou High School in Honolulu. That is the same school that brought us Manti Teo in Arabitoma. Uh, he was here for the Florida State game just last weekend. Got an offer, and he basically committed on the spot. A lot of growing to do. Uh, six foot three, two hundred ten pounds. He's kind of they, they think he would probably start at safety and then grow into linebacker. But this was kind of an exception for this class because there's really not a whole lot of there's just not a lot of spots left in this class of 2019. He's now the twentieth recruit in this class, and those are your blue gold nuggets. Very nice. Uh, all right, let's talk about this Florida State game real quick. Uh, it was good to see Dexter get back on the wagon and look real solid. What I love most about this game, and yeah, you know they racked up the points. They look good. And, you know, Florida State is a shadow of what they used to be. Sure. What I real I loved how they rallied around uh, Brandon Wimbush here. Todd, he's been through a lot this season. Obviously, starter to bench to just kind of oblivion, and then back into the fold. I really loved how the team seemed to really get behind the star here, and uh, at the end of the game. Game, uh, making sure he's front and center. Uh, it, it really was the best part of what they did last weekend. Yeah, and certainly Wimbush was a mixed bag. You know, Kinda. 12 of 25. Did have the three TDs, but a couple picks. Uh, did add 68 yards rushing. So I, I couldn't help but go back to the question that you posed at me last week. Would Notre Dame be undefeated if Wimbush has been the quarterback all season? I walked away from the Florida State game saying, no chance. Well, unless Dexter Williams is going to have 10 yards of carry yeah, exactly. for 200 yards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was interesting about Dexter Williams is on his first three carries, he only had 11 yards, but on his fourth carry, he busted a 58-yard 50 yard TD. 202 total yards on 20 carries for you math majors. That's 10.1 yards per carry, as Rags mentioned. This was my favorite stat of the week, actually. The first player to put 200 rushing yards on Florida State since 1982. That was a pretty good one. He added, he added a 38-yard TD as well. Check out this. He's been the game-breaking, and obviously the, the Irish rolled 42-13, which is your final score here. But check this out. This is Dexter Williams this season against Florida State. Touchdown runs of 58 and 38. Had a 45-yarder against Stanford. And then against Virginia Tech, he had a 97-yarder and a 31-yarder. So he's been the king of the breakaway touchdown run. I uh, really, and the thing, uh, the big question to come out of all this, what does it mean for Wimbush moving forward? You know, uh, it's it's really interesting. He, the Psychologically, he seemed to be in it, seemed to know how to lead a team to victory. But what does it mean after it? Yeah, and, and Brian Kelly was kind of asked about that because we all sort of put a little bow on probably the career of Brandon Wimbush, but here's Brian Kelly responding and saying maybe maybe there's still more to see from him. You know, I, I think there'll be time to write about it. I think he would like this to be much more about there's more to the story, and it's <laughs> let's not write the obituary yet. Um, I just think that um, everything that he's done leading up to last week uh, was indicative of who he is. So I don't know, I don't know that anybody really should be surprised because he's been really consistent in who he is and everything that he does both on and off the field. I think that just becomes another chapter. But I, I, I just think that there's more to write here. I, I don't think it ends with last week. I, I think there's more um, exciting things coming from Brandon. And you never know. There's three more games to play here, Todd. Sure. You, might, you never know when you might need him if something goes wrong with Ian. And I was maybe even probably taking it too far trying to read between the lines if indeed, which I would, I don't, I don't think he would stick around. Notre Dame. I, I think it. he would take his graduate transfer year somewhere else. But, you know, maybe he does switch positions. I, I don't know. It was just a thought that kind of crossed my mind as Brian Kelly was saying this. But uh, 
maybe Brian Kelly's talking about there's another chapter to write at another school, because I just don't expect to see Brandon Wimbush around here next year. I would uh, tend to agree with you. Uh, the rankings as we move forward here, uh, they all stayed the same. Uh, in fact, it's the first time the entire top ten in the college football rankings, uh, the playoff poll, stayed the same, uh, which was pretty uh, much an anomaly. But I, I did see one important stat, Todd. At this moment in time, the four teams that are in the playoffs, historically, all four have not made it. So there's always been yeah. a team that fall out or go forward. So just because they've stayed steady doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. And history will tell you it probably won't. Well, I, I, yeah, I like the way Notre Dame has, you know, now they're 10-0, and obviously 2-0 and in November. They, they seem to be trending in the right way. We talked, do they need any style points? You know, because that Georgia looming yeah. dynamic, certainly they would have picked some up against Florida State. Syracuse, a great opponent. Uh, but we asked BK, you know, you and I have talked about November struggles and successes really all season long, even going all the way back to September, <laughs> kind of looking forward. So far, so good. So we asked Brian Kelly, what's been the secret to your success through at least the first two games? He said that the answer is real simple. One way to look at it is that the, the um, same 11 guys that started against Michigan on defense are the same 11 guys we're rolling out against Syracuse. There's a good start right there. You know, offensively, you know, we've been able to add pieces to the offense and, you know, we've lost a really good player in Alex Bars, but we seem to be growing, you know, on the offensive line. So, you know, you're adding pieces as the season goes. And, and I think everybody would want to say, how do you play better in November? Stay healthy, you know, stay healthy. Uh, who wouldn't want to be back in September when you're feeling great and you're 100% and, you know, you're fresh? So I think health has a lot to do with it. Our guys are, are in a good spot when it comes to their health, and we've taken you know, great pains to make sure that the recovery process has been a point of emphasis this year. It's interesting, Rags, because typically in the Blue Gold Nuggets, I pop in an injury report. That's yeah. one of the three. Yeah, healthy. There really wasn't anything yeah. to report, and this is game 11. I know, so. I know another way to uh, play better in November. Put the Citadel on your schedule. Yeah, there November. you go. I right. mean, that, that would help, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it yep, me up. Alabama gets away with this every year. The week before the uh, championship game, they're, they're playing one of these teams. Yeah, a lot of the SEC does that uh, before a big rivalry weekend, for sure. But, yeah, the, you mentioned the rankings. Notre Dame right there firmly at number three. And it was funny because we talked about the dynamic of if Georgia would beat Alabama, how do you keep Georgia out and how do you throw Alabama out? And then if Michigan would win the Big Ten, would Michigan, and because Michigan would obviously, either Michigan well, or Notre Dame would have to go, assuming Clemson wins out. So we talked about who would get kicked out. Would it be Michigan, a Big Ten champ that's won every game since Notre Dame, or would it be an undefeated team? And that really, that, that conversation really took off this week. And I heard a lot of people bannering around about it as, as around Brian Kelly's press conferences. But I got to take it. I got to take it one step further here, Rags, and I hope you have your rankings up over there. Well, can I say one thing before sure, we do that? Sure, absolutely. I, will, I, will, I want to add this one thing if you want to knock Notre Dame out. Okay, let's, let's look ahead. Michigan gets to the Big Ten Championship. Win or lose, whoever wins that Big Ten Championship, Notre Dame would have beaten because Northwestern is in the Big Ten Championship game. So if Michigan gets there, whoever wins or loses that game, then Notre Dame's got wins on both of them. That should mean something. That's another reason to root for Michigan to get to the Big Ten Championship because it just makes Notre Dame look better having that week off. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you have Ohio State looming a little bit. But I got to thinking, what if Notre Dame gets beat by Syracuse, okay? What would have to happen behind them then? Because obviously they'd get kicked out. And I was looking at it, I thought, okay, well, you'd need Northwestern to beat Michigan. Sure. Um, you'd need Georgia, actually, to lose to Alabama. Sure. Get them out of the I'd picture. 
and then you need West Virginia to beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game, okay? I think if those three things happen, that the one-loss Notre Dame team deserves to be in there. Well, you're going to hear chirping from West Virginia, number one. Yeah, and, they, and they said at number nine at yeah, this point. Mm-hmm. And Washington State, remember, too, they would have won the Pac-12, which is a very weak Pac-12. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. But you're going to hear chirping. I'm not saying that, that, that it, it would warrant anything. That is a scenario where I can see something happening uh, in, that, uh, in that direction. If Washington State takes its side, and this is a one-loss Washington State team standing at number eight, they looks like they're either going to play Utah or Arizona State a couple teams that have four losses already so there's just not to me enough power on that but you make a good point there's going to be plenty of chirping yeah Uh, and UCF will say something too because (laughs) they'll probably be undefeated at the time right you know what else is interesting so let's say Ohio State wins out okay and beats Northwestern and Michigan and Notre Dame endures a loss does Ohio State jump Notre Dame a one loss Ohio State team probably does jump a one loss Notre Dame team And, and I think it really comes down to the Big Ten I think when you're laying out these scenarios um, I, I think it comes down to that whole Ohio State. I'm glad you brought that up. Michigan dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if either of those can win out, I honestly do think that indeed that that would be uh, that would doom a one loss Notre Dame team. I think no matter what, if it's Michigan versus Northwestern in the Big Ten championship, if Notre Dame has a one loss. I still think you take them over the winner of that Big Ten chip because they beat both of those teams. Granted, one early in the season, you'd, you'd probably root for Northwestern in that scenario. Sure, I, yeah. But I, I still think that might happen. Saying all those other things happen behind you, like you say, Georgia losing and all that other stuff. I I still think that. I don't know why, but I, I'm that, not probably a little rose-colored oh, colored glasses. Yeah, be a lot of debate over that one. Uh, again, still three weeks to go. Still a lot can happen. So, But it is fun getting... A little bit ahead of ourselves. That's that's the great thing about this college football playoff. Um, and the one thing is, if they go to six or eight teams, a lot of this debate will fall by the wayside. You know that, uh, Todd. It, it's not as interesting if the if we're arguing whether the nine or ten team gets in to get crushed by Alabama than it is the, yeah. the, for that four or five team. You know? Yeah, for sure. And you'll. I mean, I guess the. What will, but it will make the conference championship game so much more relevant. I yeah. think that would be a lot of fun because the winner of those would go. All right, let's talk about the Shamrock Series now. Uh, it's uh, it's moving to New York City this year. Um, it's interesting, you know, keeping their global brand or at least their continental brand, uh, Todd. They are probably the only team that will have games in California, Chicago, and New York City this year, and that just goes to show you how their football team. Uh, darn conferences. We don't want to do that because we want to be able to right. do uh, all the only place they didn't play is like in, in Houston or somewhere down in Texas that would have made, you know, the four corners of the continent made, <laughs> would have made more sense. But give them credit for that. But you're going to be pretty critical about the fact they're playing in New York City today. Uh, yeah, this is interesting because now obviously they flipped this game in December, okay? It was supposed to be a Notre Dame home game and then all at once they decided, okay, we're going to revive the Shamrock series. I don't even know why they bother with this thing anymore. So it added a 2100 mile. Uh, I'm sorry, it added 1,500 round-trip miles to an already grueling schedule. You mentioned playing out in California. They're going to play out there twice, twice this year. Sure. Yeah, and so what's your what's your reward for going to New York for this? It's a 21-mile one-way trip out to USC next weekend. I bring this up because it's not so much the Shamrock series that's been a problem for Notre Dame. They're actually 8-0 and in these yep. games so far, yep. okay? It's the game after the Shamrock series. They're only five and three rags, okay? And two of those wins, two of the five, came when there was a bye week after 
the Shamrock Series. So they're actually in the six games that they've played the weekend immediately after the Shamrock Series. They're only three and three. And correct me if I'm wrong, this is probably the latest they've played a Shamrock Series game, right? Or no? I mean, it's the second to last game. I don't remember them playing this late. There but... was another one that I think was in the same time slot, Rags. Uh, it was it was an East Coast game, I remember. But check this out. Notre Dame will travel 12,550 total miles round trip this season, okay? That's three times more than Alabama, uh, which has 3,800. Twice as many as Clemson, which is 5,600. And a couple other playoff contenders, Georgia and Michigan, they won't travel 2,500 total miles total for the entire regular seasons. Uh, and, I, I, you know, interestingly to me is that in these eight wins after the Shamrock Series, I'm sorry, the eight games after the Shamrock Series, those five wins have come by a precarious final score of, average final score of 20 to 14. So even the games they're winning are tough ones. Uh, I go back to 2015. If you remember, the Irish squeaked out at Fenway Park a 16-13 win over Boston College. Now they're ten and one, going out to Stanford, playoff hopes alive, and they get beat thirty eight thirty six by the by the Cardinal, and that's that. So let me um, uh, play devil's advocate here. Okay, um, and and I don't necessarily believe this, but since they've started doing this Shamrock series, one could argue that their recruiting classes have gotten better. They have gotten more four star athletes. They have improved. Um, they going door to door. Is it because they're going and playing in these places they don't normally play? I've not heard one recruit say, man, that Shamrock series. No, that, but I'm saying I'm they can up. now hit that territory of New York a little harder. The Northeastern Quadrant. I, you know, this is a, this is a program that has a, a, its own television contract. Right. You know, it's got whatever, 11 national championships. I think it was 650 all-American. So I don't think the brand for Notre Dame needs to be expanded that much. Right. I get sick of hearing branding. I, I, but what jumped out at me, Rags, is that... Brian Kelly and his staff have done a great job, at least in my opinion, of kind of tweaking, knowing they had all this travel coming up. So they've kind of do, they're doing some things differently than they typically do. The one that jumps out at me is they aren't taking the time to get out there early and visit these stadiums. They will not walk into Yankee Stadium until game time. They don't. They don't want to okay. waste that time. They don't. They want to rest. Sense. Makes they, sense. They don't. They just. They, you know, it's going to be a hundred yard football field, right? So they're not that worried about it. I thought that was kind of interesting. And actually, here's Brian Kelly talking about that dynamic of how he's kind of tweaking his travel schedule. If you asked me in January, I th- yeah, I would have liked it at home. But after that was vetted and uh, it was decided to go to Yankee Stadium, uh, I got other things on my list I got to deal with. All year, we have avoided. Any unwanted uh, travel, um, extra travel. We have not visited stadiums. Uh, We've gone right to the hotel. Uh, We've changed up that routine, which saves us a good hour, gives us about another hour or so at the hotel to rest, stretch, nutrition, uh, recovery. Again, it's been part of a long-range plan on how we wanted to handle travel throughout the course of the entire year, starting with going to San Diego and staying on an Eastern Standard clock and coming back and staying an extra day. And it's, it's really residual of all of that leading up through going to, to, to L.A. next week. So uh, a little bit of a change of schedule throughout the whole thing. Uh, we'll practice here on Friday and then, and then head to New York. Uh, and again, 
tr- full transparency. I was just trying to make the argument of what Swarbrick or or Brian Kelly would say as to why they are in New York City. I, I'm on your side on this. I just want you to know that. That's <laughs> right. Now, now this is not a home game for Syracuse, although some could say, "Hey, it's in New York State." Uh, no, it's not. But Syracuse is a legit team, and you could make the argument if they wouldn't have blown that game at Clemson, this would almost be a play-in game to uh, this coming weekend between Syracuse and Notre Dame. They've scored 50 points, uh, well more than, I was it, five times? 60 once. This team can put up some offense, and they have a coach in Dino Babbers that is legit. He comes over from Bowling Green, and he's kind of put a winning culture into the Carrier Dome that we haven't seen since maybe Donovan McNabb was there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and keep in mind, Syracuse beat number 2 Clemson last year in New York, so uh, they're, they've been capable of knocking off some some big boys here. You mentioned it offensively. I think what jumps out of you, and we'll get to tempo here in a second, but they rank fourth nationally, 82.2 plays per game. Um, well, we'll see, I got a little bit more on that in a second, but it's easily the best offense that Notre Dame will face this year. Uh, they're ranked number 14 in total offense, 482 yards a game. That's really impressive stuff there. Uh, only two other teams on Notre Dame's entire schedule Rank in the top 50 um, offensively. That's Wake Forest at 31 and Virginia Tech at 44. They average 44.4 points a game. Uh, very impressive there. That's number seven in the country. Um, really, they're balanced on both sides of the ball, too. I'm going to flip the page here. Tenth in the country in sacks, 3.3 per game. Um, and sacks lead to turnovers. We know that. Tied for fourth in turnover margin. Rags, they forced 11 fumbles or recovered 11 fumbles and picked off 14 passes. They have 25 takeaways this year. Very opportunistic. Yeah. That's third in the country. So when you look at both <laughs> That means Ian Book, get, your butt, get out there again because we know, don't need those turnovers. And I want to throw you out. I want to throw this at you. you. You know, perhaps because they put a lot of pressure and, and take some chances defensively, you have a Notre Dame team that really doesn't turn the ball over, right. especially when you're talking about Book at quarterback. And the running backs have done a great job holding on to the football. I don't even know if they have a running back fumble this year. So perhaps this is a really good matchup for Notre Dame, a real aggressive take chances type of defense. I suppose all this, these takeaways and whatnot, could work either way. Well, and another way to stop an up-tempo team is don't give them the ball. And their offensive line is coming off their best game of the year last year, uh, last uh, last week against Florida State. They have that type of game again, uh, again uh, coming up to, on Saturday. You're going to be able to control the ball, keep it out of their hands, and maybe uh, give the, limit their amount of possessions. So. You you can uh, just dominate both sides of the ball. Notre Dame used to fast-tempo teams, up-tempo teams. As a matter of fact, they've already played four others this season that rank in the top eight in the country as far as number of plays per game. Um, that is Ball State. I'm sorry, three, three, three other teams. Ball State, which managed 97 plays against Notre Dame. That was amazing. Wake Forest, which managed 92 against Notre Dame. And Northwestern had 69. So at least there's a blueprint for Notre Dame to call on when it comes to trying to slow down a tempo team. Yeah, they are uh, legit. There's no doubt about it. And uh, like I said, well-coached. Uh, Dino Babbers has established something. I don't know how long he'll be at Syracuse if he keeps winning games at this program. A lot of eyes are going to be on him, Todd, to to maybe look elsewhere in the upcoming seasons. Yeah, he's got this program on the rise. Rags, do we have time to pop in, Brian Kelly, sure. talking about tempo? Because sure. it was pretty interesting. He, he'll, he'll, he'll break it down. They do a good job with their cadence, trying to get you offside. Gives them a lot of free shots, so you've got to be disciplined. You've got to have great communication You know, at L3 levels. Um, so it's certainly something that you have to be disciplined and on top of. But we're, we've played tempo teams, so 
you know, that's not going to be a reason why they win the football game. It can be a reason why we give up big plays if we're not on top of things. So when you say balance, it's the, the ability to run it as equally as well as throw it. You know, they're, they're, going to, they're going to work off how you align defensively. You have to have a fundamentally uh, designed way of how you're going to play um, and, and then go to work off it from there. So if you line up in base, you know what they're going to attack. If you line up in nickel, you know how they're going to attack you. So you've got to, you've got to go from that and, and then be able to support the potential weaknesses uh, from one or the other. And I'm going to give Tim Priester some credit here. I saw him tweet a stat the other day. You know, Notre Dame tends to score on big plays a lot, and Syracuse gives up a ton of big plays, especially compared to Notre Dame's big plays. They've given up eight 60-yard plays allowed, and Notre Dame has not given up any so far yeah, this year. So they, they tend to give up the big play, and if you watch Notre Dame long enough, uh, they bust through the line, they're gone, and that happens a lot with the Irish, that they could get some big plays and maybe just establish some dominance early on. Yeah, and Ian Book's starting to make some big plays in the passing game as well. Yeah, so those are the things working for them, and make no mistake about it, this is a Notre Dame home game. Do not think that Syracuse will travel well to Yankee Stadium. There will be more Notre Dame fans there, uh, and that's an understatement, Todd. So uh, we'll we'll get our predictions here in a second for this second-to-last game of the season uh, as they continue their quest for the playoffs. But let's talk some other sports real quick, Todd. Uh, really, I... I, I I shake my head at it, but you listen to uh, Mike Bray after the game, and it makes a little sense. They're lost to Radford at home. They were coming off a little bit of a run. The, the team looked like they were uh, spreading the ball around and, and everybody scoring. Uh, Mike said after the game, uh, they lost to age pretty much more than anything mm-hmm. else. Radford is a senior-led team, and that is what happened at Purcell Pavilion. Yeah, 63-60 Radford. They kind of hung in. They actually outscored the Irish 35-26 in the second half. So that was the big difference there. The men dropped to 2-1. and one. Mike Bray, he he was he was first one to admit he's having trouble figuring out an identity and a rotation for this team. He has so many young guys he's trying to plug in, get a look at it. This could be a, this could be an interesting year. I was surprised that when I saw it, Notre Dame was actually only a seven and a half point favorite over Radford. So the folks out in the desert knew something was up with this one. John Mooney, six of nine, three point shooting, finished with a career high twenty four points to go along with twelve boards. That is his first career double double. T.J. Gibbs, eleven points. That's it. Those are your only two double digit scores. Notre he, Dame missed, only shot, he missed every three he shot, yeah, too, exactly. by the way. Notre Dame only shot as a, for the game 22 of 61, and they were out-rebounded 41-34. So there you have it. Rex, my question is, what in the heck happened? I thought Rex Fluger was going to yeah. take a step up offensively. He has totally disappeared. I don't know what's going you on there. You know what's there. weird? And every year it seems like there's always that one player we think is going to take that yeah. step ahead, and they don't. And, and, and by the, you know... 15th game through the season, we're like, what happened to this guy? Because last year he was doing something. There always seems to be that one guy that we're always waiting to take that next step, and they don't. And then there's another guy that you didn't really expect to that that comes out of nowhere. So it's worked both ways. Uh, Notre Dame returns to action uh, Saturday against William & Mary. As part of the as this Gotham Classic rolls on, and early in the week, obviously the women take care of the Penn Quakers. Uh, not much drama there. Seventy five, fifty five, Todd. And again, it's uh, pretty much the Big Four, and we'd have nothing to worry about because we've got the Big Four. Yeah, you're missing one of the five though. Marina Mabry still out, and they're going to need her because the schedule does heat up here a little bit. Actually, starting Saturday uh, against at number actually at number fifteen DePaul. That's a pretty good basketball team there. 
uh, a bit of a rivalry too, familiarity with yep. the coaches, so they can throw some stuff at him. Uh, yeah, the Penn game, they they dropped their championship banner or hung their championship banner, however you want to look at it. Uh, Bree Turner, her second double double of the year, as as the women improved to two and zero, sixteen points, ten boards. Uh, Rike led all scores. Ogunbowale with twenty one points. She added six assists, which was a career high for her. Jess Shepard had seventeen points. Um, after this DePaul game, they go off to Vancouver uh, for that showcase thing up there for a few games over Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, then they're home against Iowa, and then home against UConn on December 2nd. So, again, get Marina Mabry healthy because uh, they, they miss her for sure. All right, we'll be back next week. Hopefully it'll be an 11-0 Notre Dame Fighting Irish team that's uh, solidifying their spot into the college football place. Oh, we got to make a prediction. They win? You're all over the place. Yeah, uh, Yankee Stadium has been good to Notre Dame. They're an impressive 17-6-3. That's a clip of seven, uh, 71%. Syracuse, though, better yet. Syracuse is 7-1 and all-time at Yankee Stadium. That's an 88% winning percentage. They played once at Yankee Stadium, and Syracuse beat Notre Dame 14-7. to That was in 1963. They will not repeat that performance. Notre Dame gets out of here with a win, 34-24. I agree 110%. I don't think it'll be as close. I'm going 38-17 uh, victory, and then we're off to USC as they play their bowl game. <laughs> against against, uh, Notre Dame. All right, Todd, we'll do it again next week. As always, the Blue Gold Report and podcast being brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Uh, Remember, subscribe subscribe to us, and of course, uh, you can uh, rate and review us. Uh, Todd, I'll talk to you next week, my friend. All right, man, it'll be fun. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.